just a bunch of witty bitches. Hey, Papa. Hey, I have a quip. You have a quip. We'll put that for a quip. It's just cadals. Bero pepop. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Witty Banter, episode number 71. It's late night here. It's 10.48 p.m., and I'm joined by my host, Max Scott, the (laughs) Silky Slick Snake. Thank you for the sweet, sweet introduction. (laughs) No problem. Not here. It's Hunter Dorsett, still on tour, traveling the fucking world. He he called me the other day. He's like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, just finished up in, uh, like, Tallahassee or whatever he said. Somewhere in Florida. I'm like, wow, (laughs) you're in fucking Florida right now. That is insane. That is a long, that is a two-day trip away. Yeah. But the Banter Nation is only one episode away from hearing that sweet LaGrange Mm. voice of his. Mm -hmm. And for now, you're just going to have to deal with the... uh, I guess the dry age version of the the podcast, you know, just trimming the fat off a little bit. Just are we just are we the me. dry aged cut of steak? Of it's Woody an acquired Bandit? taste. I mean, most people think it's a better taste, a better style, but you know, it's still an acquired taste. You know, it's it's still you really a think no. I thought the thing with dry aged beef was that if you you have it once, you know immediately. If you're a beef lover, it's without a doubt the better well, better yeah, cut of beef. You know, yeah, if you have great taste, a you refined know, if you're a palate. I got you're you. refined. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, exactly. If you then want fucking carbonated soda pop, yeah, then you'll you probably know, enjoy your, 100. Well done, you know, flank fajitas. You know, whatever. Yeah. Everybody likes their own thing. Max, I gotta tell you what though, man, my uh, my dandruff's coming back. That's weird. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, man. I go buy head and shoulders again. I have never been somebody who had dandruff. It so sucks. I don't even know like what it what it is or let what me, it does. Let me tell you about dandruff, right? Yeah, One day you're, in you're, in, you're in the gym and you oh, start no. to sweat a little bit. And the mm-hmm. second that sensation cuts in, it's just yeah. like you want to itch your scalp off. So it's like and, a, uh, it's an irritation thing. It's absolutely an irritation thing. And, and then, and then you're sitting there, you're reading a book at, the, at a coffee shop, and you scratch your head, and you realize that a blizzard starts. And you say, <laughs> the I person behind you is of. complaining about all the flakes in his coffee, and just yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> Pardon me. You're getting dandruff everywhere. <laughs> well, I'm terribly sorry to hear about your dandruff kerfuffle. Thank you. But I have been I'm dandruff free all week. I am I am clear. In fact, I got a new haircut. I don't know if you noticed. I'm looking, it looks I'm looking good, looking man. Good. Looking sharp. Thank you. Thank I think all the listeners are going to appreciate it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and we'll post a picture with the episode, you know, because that's yeah, what you naturally. guys are tuning in. But like I said, it's 10.50 p.m. starting kind of late because, God damn it, sometimes working in game development really sucks, Mac. It's really grinding. It's chapping my ass right now. I don't think I... Yeah, I mean, that's like the number one thing that I've heard is that you need to expect the late nights. You need to expect the grind every now and again. It's going to happen. But when the grind comes, when I'm supposed to be doing my second grind... Yeah, your double grind. That's I'm about two to go home and grind grinding again. up against each other. I'm a double grind, <laughs> man. That's yeah, I mean, that's intense. This metal to metal, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. That must be uh, tough. But I shot back some espresso. I'm probably going to be real jittery this episode, so we're going to see yeah, where perfect. it goes, man. I think last yeah. episode was a little low key, even keel. They would say yeah. we're up this here now. We're in the high registers. Up. Yeah, this is the yeah. That last one was just a, a precursor to like the high levels of energy you're going to be getting out of this one. You know, this is. This one's going to be crazy. Yeah, you're going to fucking know what day it is. You fucking, do you even understand what's going on right now? Do you even feel it? <laughs> okay, well, one of the reasons why my gears were grinded is because I didn't even get to fucking buy the beer that we're going to be reviewing today, which means, Max, you're doing a solo beer review. Solo beer review, which I'm okay with. I actually like this beer a lot. I've, I've had this beer a, uh, I've had this beer before a long time ago with Hunter, actually. It's mm. called Dogfish Head uh, Immortal Ale. 
immortal. This one's actually, yeah. So if you're familiar with Dogfish Head at all, you know, they are... Uh, Super popular. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like one of those like entry-level craft beer kind of things. Like actually, yeah, they idea. were... One of their beers was, was the beer that kind of got me into craft beer. And that was mm-hmm. their 120-minute IPA. I had a friend yeah. who was a huge beer drinker, Chris Carter, shout out. And uh, he was like, dude, try this. It's 20%. Sip it like a whiskey, you yeah. know? And yeah. I drank it over the course of like 30 minutes or an hour and got basically <laughs> drunk off of one beer. And I was like, yeah, I'm all about this. This is cool. Yeah, I love that series of beer, like the 60 to 90 to 120 minute, because it's just like you can buy a six pack of the 60 minute. And it's your uh-huh. traditional, like, you know, alcohol level. And then it's like, well, we'll give you a four pack of like the next range up. And then it's like the 120. It's like you can buy these in singles only because these are equivalent to that one six pack. It's like, a, yeah, it's like a bottle of wine. Yeah. And this one's actually really not too far behind. It. It's actually 11 percent alcohol by volume. I'm kind of so jealous right now, Max. Gotta, it's pretty. It's good, man. I mean, like I just poured it up. It's got that nice little like reddish tint, a very like glow, a nice little like mapley glow to it. A awesome head on the top of it, dude. It is super, super silky smooth on top, and yeah. like the taste, man. It's hanging around. I mean, what's kind of fun right now is I feel like I've called into some weird late night sexy hotline, but with like a beer fetish, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, like I sip that. I'm not sipping. You, yeah, what exactly. kind of character like, notes are you tasting? What kind of uh, what kind of glass is the beer in, dude? Oh, like, baby, um, dude, it's a clear glass glass. Wait, um, what's? Oh, fuck! I've got you maple notes head, are or? really standing forward, dude. <laughs> I'm talking like berries, man. Vanilla. That's hot. It's creamy, smooth finish. Uh, all that is actually real, though. This yeah, by the real. way, that was my description <laughs> of the beer. This beer is actually pretty good. <laughs> no, no, this beer is actually really nice. Um, for being so high in alcohol content, you can't really, like, you feel the warmth, but not in any sort of, like, aggressive way, which is uh-huh. what I really like about it. Um, obviously, it's very sweet because of that, um, but that vanilla really stands out, creams it out a little bit. Cream it <laughs> and, up, uh, dude. Yeah, it creams it up quite a bit. And uh, Welcome to really Woody Banjo like, Creamcast. <laughs> makes it kind of end smooth, which is something that I'm not terribly like familiar with when it comes to Dogfish Head because they're known more for their IPAs, which are very bitter tastes to them. But uh, this one's kind of taking the other approach. You know, It's got that nice little clean finish. So, I mean, I like this one a lot. We'll see how it opens up. It's kind of got like hints of like kind of like Belgian yeast and Belgian aspects to it while also having still that English and American flair to it that you would come to expect from a beer like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It already sounds, I mean, it's, I'm, like I said, I'm jealous. I'm not drinking it, but mm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit here and just judge you on your, your beer describing skills as if I was a listener. Cause you're, you're, you're holding the whole tent up right now with your central pole, I, Max. It's, you know, Atlas, it holds the world. I hold up the beer reviews. You Just know? don't go shrugging Pretty on me now, brother man. <laughs> oh, shit, man. I love hard to read books. Yeah, but seriously, <laughs> have you seen how redundant all these pages are? <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we get started, Max, I gotta, I gotta mm-hmm. put something out there. I gotta put something on the fucking kibosh. Something kibosh? that's been bothering me. I got a lot of bothers tonight. All right, that I'm getting okay. out there in the ether. Yeah, I'm here for the you. The show. What What is the name of the podcast, Max? It's um, witty. Banter. It's witty That's banter. It. It's okay. not the witty banter show. And you're I've really, seen this. You're a stickler about that. Man. I've you seen this it, crop yeah. up recently amongst a large group. Or okay, a large. Some people. <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> a pe- small fraction of the small portion of people that listen to our show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm just. Everybody keeps calling it the witty banter show. I'm like, that's not the name of the podcast. The podcast is called Witty Banter. Now, we couldn't get witty banter <laughs> on Twitter. 
and on Facebook. So we had to go with witty banter show. But those are just shorthands. That's confusing. Yeah, it's a longer version of the shorthand version of the show. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, no, 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 no. I, I get you. I understand. You it's want gotta it to be, be clear, concise. It's gotta yeah. be nice. It's gotta be like clear cut. Like when they changed the name of the Facebook to Facebook and it just blew up. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we basically pretty much the exact same thing. We're uh, what a couple weeks away from millions of dollars. I am waiting for my check. I check the mail every day. Um, still haven't gotten it yet, but I'm sure it's right around the corner. Look, we grind so hard on this show that we recorded at like 10:50. Man, like, do you know how oh, late that dude, is for us? I'm not even playing around. I literally put in like an hour and a half a week. Yeah, to the show. Like, what do you want from me? Like, how do I become a millionaire? I don't get it. All these fucking people walking around listening to the show for free, acting like we're not literally sticking our neck out every week. Grinding every day for the listeners, you know. All right, Max. (laughs) Now that we've tutored our horns quite a bit, Mm -hmm. it's time to get into it. This is Witty Banter. Better do. All right, man. We're uh, we're not doing news again, by the way. There's no news, man. This is this is a new version of the show. It's just you and me. We don't need news. Nah, dude. We're that's that's all the the extra dressings and stuff. You just get pure naked banter here. Yeah, what's up, man? We're actually naked recording this. Yeah, dude. We're fucking live and we're just staring at you. Okay. Um <laughs> We're gonna do something a little different today. Uh mm. we're gonna start a discussion that's gonna be kicked off by a listener question. And last episode I was talking about how I don't really know what the intersection of our show's topics are in terms of like video games and music mm-hmm. and movies and technology and like we do it all, but we don't know who wants to hear what. And I always stay away from video game talk in a deep way because one, I don't want to lose like you guys too much. And two, I don't know how much the listeners want. But today I said, fuck it. I'm doing a video game themed episode and I'm not going to be here talking about like, oh, my favorite games or oh, what games are coming up soon? Or like, here's my opinion on this game, because Max, Mm. I got to tell you, I'm getting real fucking fed up with opinions. Yeah, <laughs> dude, right? opinions are the worst. Other than my own, everybody <laughs> else's are terrible. Well, like, have you noticed that? There's an there's an age old saying that is, that is opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. Yeah. And right now, when you go onto Twitter, it's just a giant party of like, hey, look at my asshole. <laughs> Check, hey, you want to retweet my asshole right you now? Be like, careful about who you're following right now. Well, hey, what's up? Here's another picture of my asshole. <laughs> it's just it's how it feels sometimes. It's just like guys. I know yeah. we've all got great assholes, but we don't need to all yeah, <laughs> share them all at once. All the Come time. on, man. I don't need to see your asshole. No, but I, I understand. I think there's also just a big like cultural wave of like everything is either like a piece of garbage yeah. or like sent from God. Those are like the two <laughs> things that people can create anymore. Those are the only two things you can do. Yeah. And oftentimes it's both those things at the same time from two. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly it's just everybody fighting over which it is. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the email that we're going to use to kick off this discussion. I'm pretty excited about it. This one comes from Max Kelleher. And Max, thank you so much for this question. Um, it was definitely what pushed me in a direction to talk about um, today's topic, which is going to be a deeper dive into video games as um, just as a form, like as a medium in general. Mm. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do this, to be serious, though, is because Right now, a lot of video game discussion, I feel like, is very samey. I feel like everyone is kind of reading the same thing, and the way that websites work is they're all posting the same kind of things, and opinions start to aggregate in ways that are 
there's not a lot of differentiation um, from like a medium, like a median line. And it bothers me because there's a whole world of games discussion out there that you don't really see on the internet because it, it exists outside of it. And that is one that happens in universities um, where people are starting to study games in a much more meaningful way. And I've read a couple of books from professors like that. And it, it, it gave to me an understanding that I'm trying to give to others. And the thing is, is I always email these other podcasts and I try to get them to talk about and engage with some of these subjects and they either never answer my emails or when they do, it's, they'll answer them in very dismissive ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to do it myself then, you know, like, um, let's, yeah. let's just have the discussion. So Max Keller's question is, Hey banters, um, through various episodes you all you all often talk about your favorite video games and the general gaming culture i would like to get your opinions on video games being considered art what is art and is there good versus bad art also while it may not be my all-time favorite game my all-time best gaming experience was playing limbo all the way through while being sick in bed with mono what has been each of your favorite gaming experiences Hmm. we'll get to the second side of that question first but i wanted to go ahead and engage and grapple with the first one which is essentially he would like to get our opinions on video games being considered art what is art and is there good versus bad art yeah and so this is kind of the meat of the jumping off point. And I mentioned, um, reading an author's, sorry, I have to log into something real quick. Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned reading books from authors who talk about sort of these subjects. And the one that I draw most heavily from is one called aesthetic theory in the video game. And it's written by, um, a man named Graham Kirkpatrick, and he's a professor out of Manchester. And he's gonna. This book is gonna be what I'm drawing a lot of what I'm about to say from. And I want to put mm-hmm. that out, that out in the open that these really aren't my my original ideas. Um, they're really ones I picked up from him. And I have a, a yeah. few points of disagreement with him uh, that That's I would, that I'll also highlight. But that book for anyone who's interested and wants to get um, a different take on what we're about to talk about is a great entry point. What's so, the name of the book again? Uh, Aesthetic theory and the video game. Oh, that's cool. And so this is why I'm going to use the topic of art to transition into this is because what Graham Kirkpatrick does is he uses classical aesthetic theory to understand video games. And classic aesthetic theory was created, I don't know, like in the 1600s, uh, mainly by Immanuel Kant and Friedrich Schiller, who were philosophers, and they mm-hmm. created the this theory to critique art. Yeah. Um, and so what what Kirkpatrick does is he does not, and I fall in line with this perfectly. He does not claim uh, video games for art, but rather he claims art for video games. And so what he's okay. saying is that um, all video games are not art, but video games have the potential to be art. But even though we're about to apply um, aesthetic theory, which is a theory of art to video games, he's really just using that to get a better understanding of what video games are. And his main thesis is that, Video games are first and foremost aesthetic objects. Okay. And what he talks about is when you when you look at any new form of whether it's a medium or popular entertainment, you can put the you can put it into a historical tra- trajectory, right? And yeah. there's kind of two modes going on right now, and there's the trajectory that you can put video games in the same historical path as uh, games like chess. 
yeah. you can also put them in the same historical path as just popular entertainment and even like cinematic innovation. And I feel like the latter is the one that the internet is mainly latching onto, right? Yeah. We want to see um, games that are pushing the medium forward in terms of graphics, and we want to see these crazy um, cinematic experiences. And I think video games like Uncharted most uh, pointedly represent that want. And it's yeah. one that I see constantly. And what he says is that it's okay to look at video games through those lenses of popular entertainment, you know, and, and if you do that, you can you can trace their origin all the way back to like zoetropes or um, these big rooms that were had 360 degree paintings where they the the room kind of forced you to look around and interact with them. He even brings up the this painting from like the 1600s called the Ambassadors, and if you look it up, it's a pretty famous oil painting. But in it is this skull that is painted in such a way that the perspective is totally messed up if you're looking at it straight on. Yeah, I'm you familiar have, with this. Yeah, thing. yeah, and yeah. you have to tilt your head to see the skull. And he says, mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, this is actually. You can you can kind of relate this to video games in the sense that this painting uh, forces you to move and to do something in order to experience it, which is kind of like what video games are. But where we want to take this discussion now is that all of the other framings that we can use to understand video games are certainly helpful. And without those, we probably wouldn't be able to talk about them as aesthetic objects, which is what we're about to talk about now. Yeah. But what we have to do is we have to take... There's all these other containers for looking at art and looking at popular entertainment. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to fit video games in very awkward ways into all of these other containers. We say, well, they're kind of cinematic because they're like this or they're kind of interactive because they're like that. But what we really need to do is take all of those aspects and condense them down into one new area of study. Uh, which is fairly new. Uh, it was in like 2006 when this term came up, and that is ludology, L-U-D-O-L-O-G-Y, and that is simply games studies. And that is these professors, I think they were like Swedish or they were from Switzerland. Um, I'll have to look it up again. Uh, um, if you look it up on Google, you'll be, able to, you'll be able to see it easily. But what they want to do specifically is grapple with video games in their gameness. They say if we want to understand these things, we have to look specifically at what they are doing differently um, compared to all these other things. And that's what makes them important, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about aesthetic theory. And yeah. a lot of the times when someone says aesthetics, you are looking you are thinking about the visual representation or something, especially with video games. If you talk about video game aesthetics, usually you're thinking art direction or you're thinking about um, the graphics and things like that. But aesthetic theory in the sense that Immanuel Kant and Schiller used it was experiencing something's form. And this is where these art definitions start to interweave with how we can understand video games because Essentially what they're saying is every artwork has significant form in that if it's a painting, the form would be the use of color, the use of line, the use of perspective. If it was a sculpture, it's the actual form of the marble. Um, and what you do when you come up and you grapple with these things is you experience that form. You, you go, you move your eyes up and down with it. And it creates like a feeling response in you. And the structure of that form is going to create a different structured reaction. And your experience with it is one that is important. You know, it's important Mm -hmm. to understand that experience to 
it's important to know what that experience is in order to understand like what you're looking at. And so he's arguing basically that video games are first and foremost aesthetic objects in that they have significant form. And what form is for a video game, and this is what kind of makes them distinct and cool, it is the it's the rules of the game, it's the systems, it's the code, it's the binary and conditional responses that are written into the game program that give it its form, right? Yeah. And so when you experience a game, you have the entire game apparatus, right? You have the joystick, you've got the, um, the screen, you've got the speakers, you've got the controller, and then you have the actual game program. And how that game program feels is super important. And this is why whenever I hear people talk about video games and say, well, the game feels great to play, I'm really happy that they're using these things to describe it because if anything, it is reinforcing that these things are aesthetic objects because whenever these old philosophers talked about art, they would often uh, analyze how an artwork makes someone feel and how it feels to experience that artwork. And so now when we have gameplay, we often talk about like, well, how does the game feel to play, right? Mm. And that is essentially you interacting with the game's interface, which the interface allows you to uh, push against the game um, and it'll push back in certain areas, it'll give in certain areas. And so with Street Fighter, right, it kind of feels like stiff and slow at times or it can feel like quick. There's a very specific game feel there. And then when you play something like, uh, like a racing game, like Wipeout or Wave Runner. There's like a fluid motion to it. Every game has a specific feeling, and what that feeling is is often really hard to quantify. And I think that's where you also run into struggles that that art also has. And like, how do you really describe these things when you're kind of just describing what you're experiencing as you experience its form? Yeah. Um, and so, it's really important to look at these things as a as an object with form rather than something that's supposed to deliver to you um like story or something because no like if someone throws you a ball max you don't drop the ball on the ground and say all right i want this ball to tell me a story you automatically when someone throws you a ball they've initiated a game with you and you throw it back right yeah and you do the same thing with a video game when you play a game just like um, football or any other game, you learn the rules by testing the rules out. And when you test the rules out in a game, that's you just pushing against the interface. That's you experiencing the game's form by saying, what am I allowed to do? Like, where can I go? What happens if I press this button? What happens if I kill this guy? You test the game out. And so when you have, when you have a game like Katamari Damacy, Right, which is mm-hmm. about literally just rolling around on a desk and picking things, <laughs> picking things up until it's so big that you're like rolling over the world. How, like, what the, the story of that game is totally irrelevant to the joy and the experience of playing it. Yeah, and it's super important to understand that and to understand that first and foremost, these these games are things to be played and to experience them. A lot of people would argue a game like that to be more like artistically driven too in that sense, at least yeah. in my experience. I mean, it's super comical. And that's the thing yeah. is I think to some extent, um, the art direction can inform the gameplay, mm-hmm. but I don't think that I think it's, it's fine to strive to want art, um, or, or to want new aesthetics in your video game or to want story from your video game. But I think it's important to realize that, 
that's not the defining characteristic of games. It's okay if your taste brings you to that and that's what you want out of them, but these things are not narrative objects. They're not, um, they're not a communications medium. And if you put them in the trajectory like we were talking about of popular entertainment and you talk about them as if they are a medium, which they are, but if you look at it from like a medium first perspective, any medium is, is kind of defined as a means to uh, circulate ideas and circulate ideology. And games absolutely have no meaning to them. Like the act of playing a game is totally meaningless. What you're doing with your fingers in your hands to play a game has no meaning whatsoever. It's okay for a video game to mean something to you, like if the experience resonated with you in a certain way, but what I'm talking about, much like language, language is totally arbitrary, right? Like language is just a collection of noises that we have put together in certain ways to extract meaning from, but the noises themselves don't mean anything. And it's the same way with video games. Like there is nothing about pressing triangle three times in street fighter and then pulling a trigger that that means anything at all it's just okay. it's just an act right and it's how you have to act in order to interact with the with the game object okay and you're saying you're making the argument that that like what makes that any different than anything else that you do like what is not arbitrary then in that context because watching anything would be the same like painting anything would be the same um anything along those lines in that context would still be arbitrary and completely like has no meaning then. Then you're saying that a lot of things in life don't have meaning or you're saying that like art might not have meaning. Like I don't understand why that is only given to video games. If it is, I think, I think what I'm trying to get at and I'm, I'm not sure if I quite understand what you're saying is that when you have, um, when you have other communications medium like books and things like that, oftentimes what's written in there, there's meaning. Like when you read a book, you're kind of reading it for the underlying, you're reading be- between the lines to see what the the author was really saying, you know? Okay. And of course there's discussion in books over whether or not, like sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes people are going into a book trying to find the more significant meaning and they they hold books in high regard that are able to give them a more deep and fundamental lesson or something, right? Or like a poem yeah. that has a lot of meaning, like trapped inside very few words, you know? Okay. Whereas with, with, with painting or with art, like maybe the, the, uh, the artist had an idea of what he wanted to get across, but sometimes the very act of just experiencing the art was the, the purpose of it. And that's actually a good a, a kind of a good segue because art used to it's, you know, up until around like the 1960s when it was still kind of going strong in this aesthetic um, field art, the play that you would have with art was your imagination grappling with the form and you kind of having a free play with the art object saying like, this is the, the feeling response I'm getting from this art object and my imagination is able to play with it in such a way that I'm kind of putting my own meaning into it, you know, kind of like with comics where characters are drawn simply and because of their simple design, you bring a lot to the art and you kind yeah. of fill in the blanks, right? Yeah. Now, the the way that people play with art is more, um, 
it's not about grappling with a specific object as more much as it is about asking questions. It's about being a being playful with what art is. Like, can art be anything? Mm-hmm. And that, like art is very conceptual now. Like, can art be anything, or is it art because it's just in a gallery, or is it art because it was made by a particular person? You know, like if we heard a song, like a Radiohead song, but didn't know it was Radiohead, would we still be up its ass like we are when we hear it and we know it's from Radiohead, yeah. right? I think those are important questions and they're fun to have, but it just shows the differences of kind of where people are art, where where they are where they are with art now. Yeah. Um, and I forgot how I even I even got to that one part. <laughs> um, you got any questions so far? I'm reading through my outline here. I mean, I like understand where you're coming from, but I'm still not getting like what your interpretation is really of like the aspects of games that define them as being art. Okay. Or as well, you would say, because it sounds like you shouldn't rely on like artistic direction to like maintain a video game's value. Right. At least that's like I picked up on that. Right. Which is fair. Like obviously like, and I have, that's applies to everything. Like, dude, there's definitely like hyper stylized movies that I've gone to go see and that like I may like, but like at the same time would absolutely agree as to like why they might not be good movies, you know? Yeah. Or like very artistically driven movies. And the well, same thing in with mechanics and things like that. When you take both of those out, like what do you have left that defines it as being art? Well, so that's the thing is I don't I don't want to try to argue that all video games are art, you know, and that's and that's something that I agree with um, that Kirkpatrick guys. He's that's not what he's saying either. Um, what what video games have in common, though, with um, what art is supposed to be under this aesthetic theory is that. When you, according to these guys, when you find good art, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to inhabit what's called purposeless finality. And that is, its form works in such a harmony that it's perfect and it has perfect order, it's got perfect rhythm, but there is really no point to it other than for, other than for it to exist just in and of itself. Yeah. And they also say that the whole point of, kind of viewing art and viewing good art is to have time pass by unheeded. So you, when you, they say when you come across good art, you enter this appropriated time and that's where you forget that time is their period. And you can stare at something for 30 minutes, not even realize it. And I think video games do that exactly. Like how many nights have you lost where you absolutely forgot that you, like you look down and it's 4am yeah, you know, course. and you got you got sucked into that appropriated time where you were just in a perfect rhythm and in a perfect flow with the game's form, with the game's systems that you lost track of time. Yeah. You know, and then when it comes to purposeless finality, how many times have you tried to um, explain to someone who doesn't play video games why you play them or why something is fun? Right. You're like, mm. well, I don't know. I just like to play like there's something about this game that is perfect, but yes, this thing is absolutely pointless. Like video games yeah. are pointless, you know, yeah. other than to play and have fun. Of course. And so I always found that just really intriguing that all of these sort of concepts and classical aesthetic theory can have crossover with the video game. And so all this guy is trying to say is that if you want to talk about video games and get to know them um, on a more intimate level, don't look at them as just the continuation of popular entertainment. Don't look at, look at them as just a new medium that needs to be examined of like, well, how do they disseminate ideas, even though they can be used for that. 
And it's still good to look at them in that perspective. It's still more important to recognize that games are first and foremost games. You play a video game, and that's very important. And secondly, they need to be recognized as aesthetic objects that have significant form. And once you come at them with that approach, you will come up with more satisfying conclusions as to what they are, you know? Yeah. Okay. And the thing is, is, you know, what these guys also say is that this form gives you essentially a structured feeling response. And when you have so many, excuse me, so many people across the world now playing video games, getting these feeling responses, it's important to ask the question of, well, what does that mean for like all of these, like, I don't know, our, our, our society as a whole, when so many people are experiencing this new, this new feeling response to a new aesthetic form, you know, and what does that do to cultural politics? Because video games are definitely on an uphill battle as far as cultural politics and being taken seriously and having like where you don't have to say like, Oh yeah, well I like to play video games and kind of sheepishly like laugh, laugh it off because you know that it's kind of like still seen as childish. Right. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm kind of going through my outline here to see if there's anything I missed. I didn't really follow the outline at all. I read, I was going through this, this book several times, just trying to get all these ideas back into my head Mm -hmm. and I may have been jumping around and this may have not even, may have not even made sense at all, but we'll find out when we listen back to it. (laughs) Um, no, I mean, I, I think I did. I think some of the things, I mean, obviously when you brought up like having to defend yourself as to when people ask you why you play video games, it, I mean, it used to be something to where you're right. It was like something deemed childish, but, and we always play the game of like, oh, video games are in this uphill battle, but it's almost like it really is getting to a point to where like, even if the outside culture doesn't like look at video game culture seriously, the fact that the video game culture has gotten to such a huge like level speaks for itself in that sense to where I don't feel that way at all. Like even as I got older and I always kind of wondered like when I grow up, am I going to still play video games? And like right now I'm just like, even though I don't like really play video games nearly as much as I did, it's not because I don't like, like them as much as I used to. It's purely because like, either time or whatever and like i feel 100 percent comfortable like with my free time spending it sitting down playing street fighter or any other game at this time you know right and just because i almost i view them now as like being fucking absolutely synonymous with using your time watching tv or using your time watching a movie and it's a lot of cases i see it as like a more valuable way of using your time you know as opposed to like taking in these other forms of like literal time wasting while I think you get so much more just like right off the bat with video games as you do with some of these other forms of entertainment. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely my preferred hobby. Um, I think there's a few more things I want to touch on. I'll touch on them quickly because this segment's already gone on a little longer. And I will say (laughs) like each one of these concepts we can dive into much deeper. Um, I am essentially kind of giving you the outline of this book and every, every, every point I gave had its own chapter and sub sections to those chapters and if you're interested in any of this and you want us to go into it deeper i would love to you know just send us an email witty banter show at gmail.com but kind of to go back to max keller's question about video games being art a couple things i want to do is compare video games to some art forms now just for more context Um, one thing that i think was really cool that this game this book brought up is that games are actually very similar to baroque art and at the heart at the uh, height of baroque art you the the most quintessential Baroque pieces were these huge um, murals drawn on ceilings. 
And Baroque art at this time was there to sort of show off whoever commissioned it all of their wealth and abundance. And so Baroque paintings are just these massive spans of just every, like there's so much going on in them. And it's, it's just like someone threw everything that they had at a single canvas. And so what the viewing experience ends up being is you kind of picking a point to start at and looking at and just kind of letting the painting take it, take you where it will. And sometimes you don't even really get to look at this whole thing because there's so much there and the art really becomes about, well, what was your experience with it? Because you probably looked at a different spot than I did. And I think that exactly lines up with video games in that you can't account for what a player is going to do. You kind of have to give them the mural. You have to give them the whole wall and say, start anywhere and go where you want. And you and I can play the same game and do two completely different things. Of course. The other thing that this guy brings up, and this is a large part of the book and one that I would love to honestly, I, we could do a whole not, whole nother episode on it is that mm-hmm. games are actually more closely related to dance than they are any other art form. Like people, um, like I said, they, they try their best to, to compare them to movies and to cinematic experiences. But when you look at dance, you look at an art form that exists only in the moment. If you're going, like, if you want to see a piece of dance, you have to go watch someone perform it, and it can only happen, you can only view it in the moment as it's happening, and you only see what is happening at that exact instant, you know, which is kind of convoluted to say, but what I'm essentially trying to get at is that when you play a video game, you have to play the game in order to experience the form. Like, just like you have to go watch a dance to experience the dance, the only way that you can experience a video game is if you are playing it. And the fact that you are playing it is a fleeting thing, right? Like, Mm. what is happening in the game is only happening in that very instant, just like if you were to watch a dance, what's happening in the dance is only happening in that very instant. And the the other comparison is um, the games require movement in order to play. Um, you know, video games are often thought of a pretty as almost strictly as like a visual medium, but we lose sight of the fact that the entire time you're playing a game, you are using your hands. And it's very interesting to look at video games from the perspective of your physical movements. And that's honestly the lens I look at a lot of games through now. Like when I'm playing Dark Souls, like what does this game make me do with my hands? And that's honestly one of the biggest reasons why I got so into Street Fighter Max is because picking up that controller, it was like I'd never played a game before. And I had to relearn to, I had to learn new movements with my hands. And that's how video games are also like art is that when you pick up a video game and you go through the tutorial, you're learning the basics. You're learning the Mm -hmm. basic step. Like if I were to learn to swing dance, I have to learn, um, I have to learn the six count, you know, left, right, rock step. Once I have that down, which, you know, in like a shooter would be reload, jump and crouch. Once you have that down, you can start learning more complicated moves. And once you start learning more complicated moves, the game is going to start requiring you to do those complicated moves in in longer successions. You're going to have to start doing like bigger combos. You're going to, have to start doing bigger combos more frequently. And that's essentially you taking all of the choreography that the game has taught your hands and it is requiring you to perform it in order to continue into the game. Yeah. So... You know, there's a lot more we could go into here about why video game narratives um, eventually fall flat and will always cease to be um, meaningful. I would love to talk about that, um, but we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and stop it here since we've already been going on, you know, for quite a long time. But yeah. um, 
let's go ahead and put a break here. Max, thank you for sitting here and listening to me go through this. This is something I really wanted to talk about. Yeah, I got some. Yeah, I've, I've got a few questions about it. I mean, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Well, how about this? We'll come back at the uh, after halftime. We'll answer Max's second part of the question. We'll go mm-hmm. through some listener mail, and if you have any questions that you want to ask, we can we can uh, address them there. That works for me. All Perfect. right, man. We'll be right back. Better bail. If you want to follow the show once the mics have turned off, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Witty Banter Show. Also, like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash witty banter podcast and help the show get discovered by leaving a review on iTunes. And finally, steer the conversation by sending a question to wittybantershow at gmail.com or suggest a beer for us to review by going to our website, wittybantershow.com. That's enough plugs. Let's get back to the show. We're back. It's been a little time that's been halved. Mm-hmm. Max, what do you think about that beer, man? I, I, in fact, I'm picking up the phone. I want to know. Uh, I want to hear the sexy, sexy description of this beer. Here it is. Well, here it comes, baby. So I had a few <laughs> sips of this beer already. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, this beer is a sweet, sweet finish to it. Um, it's, it's very, like, that Belgian comes out a lot more as the beer warms up and i if you know me you know i love belgian beers obviously that speaks to me very well yeah it's got a very like it becomes smellier honestly like it becomes a lot more aromatic as you drink it for longer and as this beer warms up i feel like it starts coming into its own a lot more um the sweetness kind of comes up a little bit more and kind of overcasts that creaminess that i was talking about before with the vanilla berries are like becoming a lot more strong um sounds fucking great yeah dude there's maple sweetness in there which is almost like 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 a maple syrup not just like maple maple like yeah, yeah. It's pancake syrup syrupness to it uh-huh. but nothing too syrupy like in consistency wise it's it's a great beer so far that i've had i wish you had one i do yeah. i really wish you had one right i'm now, gonna second that notion man you should <laughs> i mean i would love to hear what you have to say about it you would have no idea how uh, high the alcohol content is on this, unless you're just looking for like associating the sweetness with it, because there's nothing like, like, like that turns you off as far as like the alcoholic taste to it. There's really no alcoholic taste to it much at all, other than like maybe associating it with like a really, really nice, like scotch would be in the way it like hides it. But while not just like covering it up with other things. So I always consider that a win too. Of course. Yeah. Like if I can get away with kind of drinking a high alcoholic anything and not have to realize it, <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> and somebody, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Then yeah, give me like ten. Awesome. Yeah, All right, Max. Like yeah. Well, let's go ahead. We're gonna go ahead and let's go ahead and go ahead. Uh, we're gonna go ahead. Go ahead. And uh, we're gonna go ahead and uh, gonna do go? just nothing but listener mail for the end of the show. Because um, when it's just you and me, the people love to just like ask us questions. They want to know what we, we got to say, you know. Like, you know what when, I mean? You, like when they're just talking to us, you know. Of course, you know they got to see what's going on. Well, we're know? not going to really get bogged down have an entertain to entertain hunters. Yeah, to you know, jingle ramblings. the keys next to us, you know, and say, "Hey, Hunter, <laughs> what do you think about this?" <laughs> anyway, so that was a question for us, Hunter. What's your favorite color, yeah, man? <laughs> Oh, he's going to be pissed. Yeah, that's upsetting. You know that he listens to this because he edits them. So uh. Yeah, of course. Sorry, Hunter. Uh. All right. Uh, before I get to the rest of the questions, let's go ahead and finish out Max Keller's question that he put in. Yeah. And he says, also, uh, what have been each of your favorite gaming experiences? 
I want you to go first. I think mine would be, well, I think it kind of comes up into like what you define as like a gaming experience. Cause when it comes to like what has been like a really like eye opening experience between me and just the game might be different from like, what is my favorite gaming experience? Because obviously like I, I, my, (laughs) what brings me to games is mostly like the competitive nature and like the games aspect of games, which we kind of talked about before and like how at the end of the day, these are actually just like games, you know, yep, something that you're trying to beat and whether you're beating another person or not. And I would say that like my favorite gaming experience or like something that really like opened me up to the game itself would be going to Texas showdown for the second time and playing street fighter four competitively for technically the second time in my life and like going there and experiencing the culture as a whole and like being able to sit down and in one brief moment know that like every every input that i put onto this stick every move i make is every breath to you be take. so pretty <laughs> every like every aspect of every motion of my body that's about to happen right now is like hyper important. And not only that, but like I need to take into the consideration now, not only like what the game is saying to me and like how I'm interpreting the game, but I need to like step outside myself and like look at how my opponent is also interpreting the game and like how it affects them too. And I did like, I mean, I didn't do like super, super duper well, but the best I've ever done in tournament was at my second trip to Texas showdown. I was a game, away from winner's finals in my pool and then lost and then lost in the next game after that and lost to like significantly good players too. like, um, uh, I forget the first person I lost to, but the guy who actually knocked me out of my pool was, um, chaotics out from, uh, Dallas. Who's just an excellent, uh, VG player from the Dallas guys out there and an excellent deadly player. So I was like, just really just felt like I understood the game. I think for like one of the first times in my life and not only that, but like understood fighting games for a very brief moment. Yeah. Actually. And real quick, that reminds me, I want to touch on a little bit what we were saying earlier in terms of games being like dance, but what's impressive about watching a dance isn't so much the actual movements that a dancer is making, but knowing that the tension that's in the body to make those dance moves happen is actually Mm -hmm. the most impressive part. And that's why watching things like fighting games or watching things like guitar hero is so entertaining for people who know the game is because it's not that the fireballs on the screen are making them excited or the graphics are cool or the fact that little notes on a guitar hero uh, treadmill are lighting up. It's knowing that the person playing it is doing those things. Mm hmm. Um, But no, that's a great story. So my gaming experiences are a little different because I sort of play games to beat them. I'm in a constant, like a constant tension with video games where I'm really only entertained if a game is really pushing back on me. But Mm -hmm. that always leads me to frustration. So I have this really masochist. Yeah, I am a fucking masochist. (laughs) Absolutely a video game masochist. It's always this careful balance where it's like I want to be challenged and I want to overcome those challenges. But when the game beats me, I get fucking pissed. Right. Well, that's just a heavy theme of like developing video games. Now, I feel like that people are like trying to come to terms with where that line is. Yeah, exactly. What's challenging versus what's punishing. What's fun. You know, so um 
it goes back to Dark Souls, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And there was a boss fight in there that I, I, I think I've told this story on the show before. I got home on a Friday night and I sat on the couch and I said, I'm not getting up from this couch until I beat this boss. And I was there for three hours. And when I finally beat that boss, it was like, it was, I mean, it was like water was washing through me. Like the adrenaline, <laughs> like you didn't realize how much your heart was beating and how like tense you were until oh, yeah. it all just went away. Yeah. But the other one I want to throw in there because it's on my mind is um, Max Kelher talked about Limbo. Well, that ga- that game studio, Play Dead, spent six years making a follow-up to that game Limbo, and it's called Inside, and it came out this summer. And I played it, and Max, I'm going to tell you what, man, like I think this game is a masterpiece. It's my game yeah. of the year so far. I would love to do a deep dive on why that is, but... The end sequence, like the end, the last 30 minutes of that game was one of the most exhilarating, shocking, um, unexpected things I've ever experienced in video games, period. And it's, it's going to be with me forever, you know? And so I got to say that one. Oh. Um, but yeah, thank you for the question, Max. Yeah. Okay. Coming up next, we've got one from a friend of the show, Forrest Collada. Oh, Forrest, man. It's been a long time since I've spoken to Forrest myself. How yeah. are you, Forrest? We need to get Forrest back on the show. That guy's a great dude. Yeah, and try to defend the Quantum of Solace again. I can't wait to hear that. That's true. God, that <laughs> movie's so bad, dude. Hunter and I watched that dude. movie in our uh, house just together. And like now I have like pointed moments that I can pick out of that movie of why it's shit. Like, this is trash. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so his question is, I hope Hunter doesn't encounter a green room type scenario while he's on tour. And in parentheses, uh, in parentheses, he says, he says, spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen the movie, um, Anton Yelchin and his punk band play a, play a show at a Nazi punk bar and accidentally witness a murder backstage and have to fight Nazi punks to escape. But if Hunter were to encounter a green room type scenario while on tour, how do you think he would fare? Would he strike down with the white white supremacist thugs with a single chord strike of his keyboard and continue <laughs> rocking across the country in a blaze of experimental indie rock glory? Or would he become the fodder for leatherhead or for leather clad skinheads? I want to know. Yeah, I mean, Hunter, you know, he's a. Uh He's he's played football all his life. You he's, know? Uh, he's a he knows player. sports. You know he's competitive. Good for him. Um, good for him. Good good you on you. Good you job. know what I mean. But um, you know what I I I don't see a hunter surviving that scenario. I don't know. Do you? I have to say, yeah, man. Yeah. I think it's I think it'd be you fun and when, easy to dogpile on him. But here's the thing about fucking hunter. All right. Yeah. Fucking one. Hunter. Give it to me. Hunter's got hams for arms. His I was gonna say, like, massive. I was like, what? How can I word this? But like, that dude has always just been ripped, like, by Two, accident. I feel like he is like got this latent, just hunter dad strength. Where I've been, <laughs> I've been working out this whole year, pretty yeah. diligently. I am mm-hmm. not confident that if we both went into the weight room tomorrow, I still think he would probably outlift me. He just has this latent strength about him that's just like gorilla mode. It comes from, from his like, football days. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like a part of his breeding. Like he was brought up that way, <laughs> yeah. which is something that like no matter like what I stallion. do now, He's I like could a never thick get there. Workhorse, <laughs> and uh, the man's vascular. I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> See the veins. He's got off legs like a cannon. <laughs> I think Hunter would. I think he would fare up a little bit because Hunter, like, I think he's a soft-spoken, gentle man, but when yeah. he wants to, he'll turn it on, man. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. He's yeah, he's he, he he walks softly, 
but he, you know, carries the big stick or whatever that that one president said. I forget who. Theodore it was, Roosevelt. Yeah, was that him? Speak yeah. softly. Yeah, exactly. That's the but, H man. Uh, I mean, it's not just your your muscles that get you out of a situation like that. You know, it's do you think he could handle the pressure? I mean, Hunter's, like Hunter's got wit. Hunter, I think Hunter's a little over analytical. But I think if <laughs> he might spend too much time thinking about what he needs to do to get out of yeah, the room, that where they just get in there, put they the kill brand him. on his ass. He's going to move, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear uh, any stories that might be similar to a green room situation from Hunter when he gets back. That's very true. We're right yeah. around the corner from that. Mm-hmm. All right. This next one comes from the one and only Dunter Horset. And he says, South Park has done it. I wanted to be sure that the Nosulus rift was discussed on this week's show. Max, have you heard of this? Uh, no, you're gonna have to explain this to me. So South Park's new game is called the fractured butthole Hilarious title and always basically the concept of the of the game is what if you farted so hard that you ripped a hole in space-time? Mm-hmm. And so at Gamescom, which is going on this week, it's just huge video game convention in Germany They have they made what's called the nosulus rift and you put it on your nose and it makes you smell farts when you play the game <laughs> And to be uh, and to be clear, it's not for sale for the general public. It was really rats. just kind of there as a gag. Um, mm-hmm. But how many people have just like come up saying like, "Dude, I would drop one grand for the Nosulus Rift." Probably quite a few. I mean, that's yeah. that's his question. Ultimately, he says, "I want to know: Would you use the Nosulus Rift if you had the opportunity?" Yes. I mean, easily. I mean, it, it's one of those things where like people have no idea how strong the sense of smell is. <laughs> Until you're and just piping that fart does. right up the nose. Dude, for real, man. And it's like, look, like a smell can do so many things to you. <laughs> a smell can irritate you. A smell can disgust you. A smell can uplift you. It can, it can put you on eagle wings. A smell. Yeah, dude, a smell can make you hungry. A smell can take you back to like a trigger certain memories. Time. Yeah, trigger. You know, dude, a, your smells are so so important but they will never get the recognition as your other senses because at the end of the day it is a life enhancer you know it is not a life necessity sure you don't need your smeller you don't need your nose i think you're right what what dipshit would be who's (laughs) like (laughs) who would say hey man one of your five senses they gotta go who doesn't pick fucking smell is just a ding dong you know it is just kidding (laughs) themselves so yeah. but that being said, I mean, the, you know, why? Yeah, of course we have all the other sense. All the other senses are so, so commonly, you know, looked into when it comes to games, you know, like your touch, your sight, your hearing connect now incorporates your speech. I, where is the Nosulus Rift? Where That's is true. the version of it? Yeah. I mean, to answer his question, I don't think I would use the Nosulus, the Nosulus Rift because frankly, I'm talking to a human Nosulus Rift right now. <laughs> So wherever I go, that smells fine. I'm already best friends with one, so (laughs) that's pretty neat. Just I want you to get the full like you know it's cool that we're on Skype. You know I can see you, we can Uh hear each other. Yeah, but we need some sort of apparatus to let you know that you can really smell my farts from where you are in Austin, so you can really feel like. I don't think the apparatus is necessary, Max. I bet if you tried hard enough, man. (laughs) Oh my god! All right, man. We got another question from Hunter Dorset. The man, the myth, the legend, 
And he says, what up, germs? Just letting you toads know that in true witty banter form, my band will be playing our final road gig in Dallas at a local brewery named Noble Ray Brewery. Shout out to them. What's up? We should review a beer by them. We should. Yeah, bring some beers back, Hunter. Yeah, bring a bring six-pack back, bro. My question this week is a bit more lighthearted. If you could play in a band for one show and it was guaranteed you'd perform well in front of thousands of people, where would you want to play and what instrument would you, what would your instrument be? Beepity boobity flip flap, the long tall text. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Here's like, the deal, Max. Caught me off guard, yeah. I've been cursed. Mm-hmm. Why is because that? Because I don't have a good voice. What I, mean, I do have. have voice? What's that? Who says you don't have a good voice? I, I remember you acing all the rock band songs. I only aced. Living on a prayer, and that's because my <laughs> voice can go to freakish. Well, that one heights. song really explores the range of the average human voice. So. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I can sing very well, and okay. that's a fucking travesty. Because I'm going to say singing. it right now. I'm going to put my fucking flag in the sand. I would make an amazing metal frontman. Oh, okay, dude. I like where this is going? All I do when I listen to metal. Is pretend that I'm singing it. And I put my hands out in the air. I try to act rowdy. I'm like flexing the chest. I thought I, that was just me. Do you no, imagine no. yourself just like on a show playing? Because it's like, dude, music brings me to different places. Sometimes, like, I imagine like a movie scene that might incorporate the music. Sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. I think of other things. And sometimes I just imagine like being the front man or oh, the guitarist fuck, yes. to this metal band. And that is always with like metal because I very yes. rarely attribute that to because with Dude, metal, honestly, I imagine being a part of the band. When I when I know I like metal is when it makes me pretend that I'm the front man for that band. <laughs> that is the if one I and only limit. imagining as... myself as the lead singer of this band. Yes. I like this band. So I would have to I pick either like Metallica. Of course. Or honestly, dude, Tenacious D. Uh, dude, Tenacious D is a good. I think choice. I'd have to do Tenacious D because that is just that is like, yeah, that I, is I have to steal that. That is one hundred percent my choice too. That <laughs> okay. is awesome. Not only that, but like, dude, that show that we saw oh, from them. Oh. If you don't believe how like much joy they brought me, feel free to just like Google the pictures from that show that are on some website somewhere because there's just a yeah. picture of me just like purely enlightened by the experience. Yeah, it was like having an angel like touch your wiener or something. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, jeez. I, oh, wow. Fact, send your questions to WittyBantershow at gmail.com. We'll tell you all about that show. Yeah, man, please. Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely. So, okay, we're both, you know, it's, it's the time-space continuum broke. We've yeah. been sent in time back to a point to where we get to start Tenacious D together. Uh-huh. Am I Kyle Gass? I mean, you have to be, right? Like, you're I'm more talented at, guitar, at the guitar than I am. And you've kind of got that, like, more reserved, quiet demeanor. What? <laughs> you know? You know what? I'll take it. I actually, I fully appreciate it. I will be the Kyle Gass to your Jack Black, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's a fucking perfect duo, dude. <laughs> let's fucking do this. Tenacious D, too. <laughs> yeah, let's be a Tenacious D cover band, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Tenacious G. Tenacious G. Shut Tenacious up. D. That's awful. <laughs> Okay, this next question comes from Twitter, from at Baphometa, who has become a Twitter friend of mine. She streams video games, and she's pretty fucking funny, and she asks, what video game series do you regret not getting into? Mine is Final Fantasy. I didn't even play through, um, I didn't even play 7 all the way through. Yeah, doesn't, dude, did you play 7? 
I've never played seven. The only fi- I think Final Fantasy actually is a good answer. I've played yeah. about twenty minutes of Final Fantasy five, and I played a little more of like an hour of Final the Fantasy fuck five. Is Final Fantasy five. Um, it's like it's more. It was like on the SNES, I think. And it's top down. It's really the roots of that turn based system. Nice. Um, but I've also played a little bit of nine. But no, I've never played Final Fantasy outside of that. I have like a really bad association with Final Fantasy and that's because like my only first and only exposure to Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy 10. Yeah. That was like considered like at the when I was a kid I was like this game is perfect. Like I love this game. It's the best. And as I grow older it became almost like the punching bag of the Final Fantasy community into yeah, where really? like Really? I thought yeah. 13 was was that. Oh yeah. I mean like as more games after that came out, of course more punching bags came out. But like of course this this pinnacle and like gaming history be, was seven you know like seven which is like that point that like so many people like immerse themselves into a game for the first time and like are drawn back to all these moments and i'm over here just like guys what about 10 i never played seven yeah and i god. feel like i i can't play it now because god what if somebody you know asks me when i played it? i'm gonna be like three months ago yeah yeah but, I get that. So. but i mean some of the other answers that i have though are like metal gear solid Dude, that's a good, yeah. That's I've one never that I played, wish I would have gotten into that. I've never gotten into that series um, very much, but I'm trying to think of other like classic Nintendo franchises and things, but I mean, those are kind of the two big ones that always stick Metal out Gear in my Solid mind. is a good one, yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you not play the new one? No, I didn't. Five? No. That game was supposed to be like literally perfect. Well, yeah. I mean, and the reason why that it got heralded is because it's just a set of systems that work so well together it's mm-hmm. fucking gamey as hell kind of like what we were talking about I heard of is, shit is but the game, game as a game is is brilliant you know it's a fucking beautiful game yeah all right it's a good one um it feels stupid to say but like i kind of wish i had like gotten into street fighter sooner because i feel like i don't have enough like roots in the street fighter like world and I feel like when you and me were kids and we just played nothing but fucking Mortal Kombat, we pretty much like shat on Street Fighter for being so like kitty and stupid looking. Uh huh. Yeah. And you know, so now we I'm bought right like, into the market. Oh, fuck. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Not, that, not to say anything bad about Mortal Kombat. All right. Well, this next question comes from Twitter as well from at It's Van Aken, who is also a Twitter friend of mine. He's the guy who hosts Pixel Pulse Radio. Yeah. And he says, have you been bitten by the No Man's Sky bug? I was going to stay away, but I'm a weak human. Max, (laughs) what's going on with you and No Man's Sky? I mean, it just took too long, man. Like the, at least for me, like, dude, the hype. There was like a point like last year, probably this time last year that I remember having like a conversation with you just about watching that one video where he's like explaining how this like world is so procedurally generated and how like everything we see before us is just like this complex algorithm and how you can like actually associate that with the world. And like my head was going to fucking explode from how yeah. I mean, awesome the game, of a concept The download size of the game's like three gigs, but it's like 18 fucking quintillion planets. Yeah. What the fuck dude? Like that's <laughs> crazy, man. And you just think like, that's such a outrageous and like groundbreaking feat for games. Right. And like, as we kind of got closer and closer, it's just like that sort of just hyper hype kind of ended up warming down a little bit, coming to a point of just like forgetfulness almost like dude, it wasn't, it took me like somebody came up to me and asked me if I was ready for no man's sky. I was like, Oh sick dude, when's it come out? They're like, Oh, in like a week and a half. And I was like, Oh, because I had almost like kind of forgotten about it, dude. And from what I've heard, it's 
it's like it's just a game that's honestly fallen to the folly of like these sort of viewer interpretations of like what this game is supposed to be. And I think people thought and just started making up what they wanted this game to like actually be and represent and stuff. And I don't know if maybe there was a point to where like the developers were maybe trying to like meet that expectation and maybe like ended up falling flat because that wasn't the original idea or if they just had this idea in their world that other people like ended up creating this completely different game than what it ended up being. But I don't see it as being such a like magical experience anymore. I think from this point forward, I think that like it might become it's just, just with like that simple concept in itself might end up being like how people now will say it's a dark souls esque game where right. people might start saying that same thing when it comes to like worlds being procedurally generated and things sure. like that. And I think that's really a cool concept, but I think that might be the only thing that com- like ends up being taken away from this game experience other than like what a beautiful, beautiful masterpiece of a game. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm kind of right there with you. So I think a lot's already been said in these past two weeks since the game's launch about what hype has kind of done to this game. And I, I don't really think there's much I can add to that conversation, but what I will say for me personally is when it came out, I didn't buy it right away, but I was like, I want to, I'm going to buy it. I want mm-hmm. to play this. I want to experience this because I do think this is something new. Like basically since the PS2, we really haven't gotten new types of games. We just get prettier versions of what we've are prettier, more refined versions of what we already have. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that we've ever gotten something that's never been done before. And I think that's incredibly admirable. And I think that yeah. that team should be, um, congratulated for that and they are being congratulated for it by the market the game is selling like crazy yeah but when you look at it from an a- as like as an actual game and what you're doing moment to moment most of the reviewers are coming out and it's getting very middling scores and they say like look what this game is doing technically is a marvel mm-hmm. playing this game is not that fun yeah. And the thing is, is for a $60 asking price for me to just go and kind of see it, I just, I have to either wait for it to drop in price or I need to wait till, you know, the develop, they're going to keep supporting this game, and adding mm-hmm. new stuff to it. Maybe I'll come back when there's more there. But for now, like I'm just kind of watching it on YouTube. And when I start to watch games on YouTube, that usually means I'm not going to play them. Yeah. And so it's kind of how it is for No Man's Sky. Like I wish, I think this game's incredible. Um, I think what they were able to do with such a small team is fucking amazing. I think you are right in that procedural generation has been around for a long, long time. And I feel like this game might either be seen as like the pinnacle of it, or it's going to be seen as a stepping stone to really, like you said, in a dark souls S type way, change, um, just spawn like a whole new, not genre, Mm -hmm. but we might see this approach be used more often, be refined more, start getting better. And that's very exciting. I would love to hear what your take ends up being about the game because I'm still not really sure if like the problem with the game was that there was like not enough game elements to it or they tried to put in game elements to it when some people were almost just looking for like a purely like experience driven exploration style of game. So I'm excited to see what you might have to say about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think gamers right now are so conditioned to just want content for the sake of content. They like, this game doesn't have quests. Like this game doesn't have little boxes for me to do, put check marks in though. Fuck Mm -hmm. it, dude. I don't want it. And like, I hate honestly that a lot of gamers have been conditioned that way because content for content's sake does not make a good, a game good. Never. Um, so anyway, 
His final, he also, just a quick final question. He says, also, best advice for a new Civilization V player? Because me and him have been talking on Twitter. He just got into Civ V, and Civ V is like a huge black hole of a game that you can get sucked into forever. Yeah. Uh, I love it. So for him, I would just say watch uh, people on YouTube play it, read the wikis online, but also don't be afraid to fail. Um, start new games, lose. You're going to learn more in your failures in that game than you are going to be <laughs> reading about it. Just have fun with it. Yeah. Um, okay, our last question comes from Mandy Elkins. Hey, Mandy. Who, yeah, hey, Mandy, how's it going? <laughs> about, have you met her yet? No, have you? No. What's up, Mandy? When are we going to hang out? Yeah, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, dude, Hunter, double date, man. Let's where's the introduction, thing. dude? Yeah, man. What's Hunter, up are you embarrassed of us, Hunter? Are you? I don't like that. It's fucked up, oh, man. Come on, dude. And she's rounding out the video game theme episodes, and she says... Off the top of my head, I can think of only one gaming concept, and this was um, in reply. I replied to her email. I was like, hey, I like, appreciate the gaming question last week. If you got any others, um, send them mm-hmm. my way. And she says, now that EA Sports sponsorships and publicized championships are really taking off, do you think that the quote-unquote life of a professional gamer is going to be extended like in professional sports? In parentheses, she says, professional commentator or a team owner, manager, or coach. However, unlike sports, video games are evolving at a faster rate and more and more games are becoming popular. So with this new life cycle, how can these players really extend their professional gaming life before the game or the player is irrelevant? That's a good question. Interesting question, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question, especially like when it comes to like fighting games, at least for me, it's like right now is like the first time, like either like the last few years is like the first real time for it to be like sort of acceptable to like pursue pro gaming through fighting games and like really having a fairly solid chance at getting some sort of like sponsorship deal in order to maintain like your livelihood. But there's definitely at this point, at least for fighting games, like pretty much zero future like aspect to it to where like you could be sponsored this year and the next year when you don't get that, you know, re-up, that means that you're pretty much out on your ass and you're not getting paid like a huge amount to where you have like this back bankroll to like sustain yourself like a professional athlete would. That also being said, there's something to say about like, you know, football and basketball are the same and they've been around for a very long time, you know, but when it comes to like the life of a game, you know, you, you can be good at a game and be a pro gamer for a while, but the life cycle of the game, at least with the FGC, 100%, like it means that it could also be the life cycle of your time as a pro gamer. Yeah. Cause it doesn't always transfer over and everything. And sure. When there was this big transition from street fighter four industry and street fighter four was a long lived game and they made it that way on purpose to be it lived for like eight years, which is crazy. But when you look at all of these other games, like, um, like nether realm studios games, um, like MK nine, uh, MK 10, um, fucking injustice and all those kind of games, they have like almost a yearly life cycle, if not two years, which provides very little stability for somebody who's like pursuing being a pro gamer. 
And that because of that, you end up getting like mostly just pro gamers being like kids or something who are like fresh out of college who like aren't going, aren't, you know, necessarily like they have that sort of like window of opportunity to sort of pursue something like this for a little bit. And then knowing that like afterwards they can kind of dive back into the real world, you know? Um, that's the other thing about esports is the human mind is like, it's most elastic when you're younger. And that's why when we were younger, we were the best we were ever um, going to be at video games. Yeah. Your reaction times go down significantly when you're in like your mid twenties. And what's yeah. crazy about the lifespan of a professional gamer is like, once you're like 26, you're fucking done, dude. You're almost like, you like time to retire. Dude. You do <laughs> yeah. not have the reaction speed that these younger yeah. kids have. And mm. that's also a problem in that you're not going to be sustaining yourself in a particular game, unless the game is like a slow paced strategic game, which those really aren't out there, you know, mm-hmm. at least not up, in like a popular mindset. Sure. And like you bring up a good point with life cycles of games. And so does she in that the longest game I can really think of that's been hugely popular on the esports stage is like, you know, Dota and yeah, that Dota. game has had some st- staying power, but I don't know if people are going to be playing that in 10 years from now or, or however long. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know what the apparatus is going to be that's going to make these things like have a lot of longevity. I think it might be that once these bigger networks are get involved, like ESPN two dipping their toes in it, they are going to want to create a secure environment for their investments in this. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to want to create an environment that does have staying power. And I feel like maybe the games that they kind of latch onto or whatever the business model for them, these larger networks that are going to distribute and show these games, whatever they hold on to are probably going to be the ones that stick around longer. Like, I don't know. What do you, do you agree with that? Well, yeah, of course. But it's like, what, I mean, what are they going to latch onto to like try to keep relevant? Like Dota is a, like a freak of nature, you know, like Dota is a product of, like early on being like a PC game. And so like games like league of legends and stuff like that too, they're games that are like ever expanding and can always expand. And because of that, they're going to have that like significant staying power, but it does have a set of core mechanics that will not change unless it becomes a different game. You know Exactly. Right. But it's, it still needs to like, you know, just the same way that you would look at, you know, a basketball game being played in like the seventies and a basketball game that's being played now and how that's like, you know, might be looked at as being like a different game or like these different style of athletes and these different players and stuff that might make the game change and evolve. But still that's not the same as like, you know, that, that sort of life cycle happens within like eight years with games. And I'm talking about like a 40 to 50 year life cycle or a 40 to 50 year evolution between like one of a, an actual athletics or not to say actual, but a more common sport like basketball. Yeah. Well, I also, I would not call video games athletic in any sense of the word. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't really know much else to say about it. I would think that like for the most part, I think it's important to, maybe look into like more like with fighting games. I mean, I would love to see more of like a push towards PC gaming as opposed to console gaming. Cause honestly, like just being on a console in general and having like a console based games, like limits you so much as to where like sponsorship deals and stuff, because so much, so much goes into like building a PC so much goes into, um, 
PC software and stuff like that. There's so many more companies willing to like put themselves out there and to support you if you're playing on a PC platform as opposed to a console-based platform, which could also speak for something too as well. Hmm. Yeah. It's also interesting. All right. Well, Mandy, thank you for the question. Thank you, everybody who sent questions in today. If you want to get your question read on the show, just go to wittybantershow at gmail.com or send us a tweet at wittybantershow on Twitter, or you can just go to our website and click email us and submit your question there. Max, I want to hear what your final review on this beer is, and then Um, we're going to get out of here. I mean, this... So, Dogfish Head, Immortal Ale vast in character like it says on the body or on the bottle you know <laughs> luscious and complex you know i uh, agree this smooth full-bodied ale reveals interwoven notes of maple and vanilla and oak and i can't say that they are wrong i mean the biggest like aspect of this beer that comes out to me is that it is like big but it's not overpowering in any way it's yeah. smooth. It's sweet. It's it's just like a big drink that most people could definitely handle easily. It just sounds like they set out to make a complex beer and they just executed it perfectly. Yeah. And it's it's nothing too overdone. The flavor notes are simple, you know, it's it's easy to understand as a beer. It's easy to like taste what parts of it um you know, stand out the most, what parts of it are like the most prominent, what changed throughout like the warming of the beer and things like that. It's, it's, it's an easy beer I think to get into. I highly recommend it. Um, I would give it a nine, I would say nine. Yeah. I mean, I I like this beer a lot. I think it's it's really cool. It tastes great. It's much better warm or warmer, not like hot, but like as it, you know, comes out of the fridge, let it stand for a little bit, try it out then, all the notes in that are going to really stand out to you more. I like it a lot. Awesome, man. Cool. Well, you did well doing the solo beer review. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Witty Banter Absolutely. reviews a beer. We can't stop it. We can't not do that. Yeah, and I think can't. that like out of the three of us, I'm definitely the weakest when it comes to reviewing beers. So <laughs> well, this is a nice little bad. trial by fire that you threw me in here with. But I Gotta mean, get your I, chops up somehow. Yeah, I know, right? Absolutely. I, I feel more established now. I feel like I'm part of the gang now. I mean, you also handled a two-man show for two weeks. And honestly... It's a lot more talking. I gotta, I gotta is, be honest. Yeah. I've gotten, I've gotten more comfortable with the three-man show, being able to just sit back and not I mean, say anything. Chill, you know. Take a quick nap in between conversations, you know, uh-huh. whatever you want. Come you in know, when I want to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Go make a sandwich. Come back in. Just pitching <laughs> a couple of yas from across the room. All right. Well, that's been the end of the episode. Next week, we're gonna have the long tall Texan himself back here, and I can't wait mm-hmm. to hear all about his touring stories. Ooh. So, I hope he has some uh, good ones. But yeah, that's the end of the episode. Witty Banter is on iTunes. Just search Witty Banter. Hit subscribe. All of our episodes will show up in your download queue for free. If you don't have iTunes, that's okay because we're also in a variety of Android distributed platforms. If we are not on one that you use, just send an email over to wittybantershow at gmail.com and we will change that immediately. You can also use that email address to send us questions. Like I said earlier, please do that because as you see here, they make the show much more enjoyable mm-hmm. for everybody involved. Um, I am on Twitter. I'm at Bodacious Chase. Follow me. I've just breached right through the 300 follower mark. Still climbing. Very popular. And Hunter is at, or fuck. And Max is <laughs> Hunter at Hunter is at, Dangles. doesn't exist. Yeah, Hunter doesn't use Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, Max is at Maxi Dangus, so you can get at him there. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Max? Um, it's been nice, Chase. Just the two of us. Yeah. Hanging out. I'm going to miss it. Keeping it real. Yeah. 
can't wait for the next one. I guess we'll have to, you know, dredge through these next few months of having a full cast, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's the baby's nice coming back, man. We gotta get the keys back out. Yeah. Should we know. jingle them around? Of course. Yeah, I gotta get all my baby supplies. You know, baby proof, <laughs> baby proof the house again. Get all this going on. <laughs> I'm just. Right, I'm excited for everybody to be back. Right. Yeah, we're out of here. Take Everyone it easy, have a good, guys. Have a good one. Later.